Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And today I want to start out by reminding you that there is a website associated with this podcast. It's called wealthformula.com, of course. That site has a number of resources on there, including a copy of my book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, which you can get as a PDF by simply texting me too at 44222 and typing Wealth Formula, one word. Again, that it's 44222 Wealth Formula. But if you go to that site, you can also get a copy of my friend George Newberry's book, Burn Zones, which is about the ups and downs in the life of a real estate entrepreneur that he was. And by the way, George will be joining us at the uh, Titans of Multifamily Real Estate Conference in Scottsdale. So that should be fun to have him. And for those of you who are coming to meet him in person, the event is sold out. But anyway, the other thing to recall is if you love Wealth Formula and you want to get more involved, consider joining Wealth Formula Network. Wealth Formula Network is the inner sanctum of Wealth Formula, the community, Wealth Formula Network. It's part of uh, this course that we put out last year. And the course itself is serves as a basis, the foundation on which we build. And we have a private community. We have a Facebook community. We have a private portal. And then we have bi-weekly mastermind calls, which are probably the highlight for most people, I would say. Again, you can check all that out at wealthformularoadmap.com if you want to be part of where the magic actually happens. That is a Wealth Formula Network at wealthformularoadmap.com. Now, let's let's talk about today's show. Now, uh, I'm going to say something, and it should not be taken the wrong way and as an insult, but if I hadn't listened to Peter Schiff, um, I would have made gobs and gobs of money, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I listen to Peter Schiff's podcast. Still, I still listen to Peter's podcast. I think he's a really smart guy. In fact, he predicted the financial meltdown of 2008, and you hear people talk about that all the time. The problem is, or not the problem, but you know, it would have been even more impressive if he had not predicted the financial meltdown of every other year uh, outside of 2008, like, you know, 1990 through 2000 and, uh, nine, uh, 2019. But 
you get the point. I mean, listen, Peter has a keen sense of the economy, a very strong perspective that I respect. I, again, I listen to the guy all the time. Um, I think the problem in general, though, is that if you only listen to Peter, like if you listen to only any one show or one very strong perspective, you might be only seeing a very narrow perspective on things. Let's take Bitcoin, for example. That's where I'm going with this in the case of of Peter and me not making a bunch of money because I listened to Peter. So I started hearing about Bitcoin back in 2015 or so. And back then, Bitcoin was trading for eh, around $250, maybe between $250 and $300. The problem is that back then I used to religiously listen to Peter's podcast and every time he brought it up, he was so darn negative about it. He made Bitcoin sound like a big joke. And now, now you may uh, you may not be a Bitcoin person, and that's okay. You know, there, you don't need to be. Um, but if you dig down into the concept and the economics it represents, the philosophy that Bitcoin represents, you might be thinking, why doesn't Peter Schiff actually support this? I mean, it's pretty much gold except maybe a little bit better in theory. Anyway, he was so darn negative about it that I never bothered to take it seriously, you know? So I didn't dig any further or try to listen to any other intelligent voices with a different perspective at that time. Um, as a result, I lost out, you know? Even at Bitcoin's low this year, which was like 3,100 or something, I would have still been way like a thousand percent above where I would have purchased back in 15. Now, I don't blame Peter for not buying Bitcoin. I really don't. And that's why I still listen to his show. I, I blame myself. I blame myself for not listening to people or not trying to make an effort to listen to people with perspectives other than me. There were plenty of smart people even back then talking about Bitcoin who made a lot of sense. If you go back and you look at YouTube videos and debates, even between Peter and Eric Voorhees back in, you know, 2015, 2016, before, uh, you know, there was a more recent one too. But Eric Voorhees has been a very intelligent voice on this topic for years. But, you know, I wasn't looking for other voices. I was too busy listening to the same podcasts um, that I'm not saying they're bad podcasts. I'm just saying that when you listen to a certain set of podcasts are basically regurgitating what everyone else in the niche is is saying um there's you know no one uh you know no one saying anything good about bitcoin back then because everybody was listening to each other and they all said it was it was a big joke so anyway the bitcoin opportunity loss is a larger message that resonates with me that really has to be taken to heart so whatever your feelings about Bitcoin, the bigger point here is stop listening to the same source of information to make all of your financial decisions. You may think you're listening to a whole bunch of different podcasts and uh, you might be listening to a lot of different podcasts, but if the same guests keep popping up and all the time uh, and they're saying the same thing and they keep echoing each other, uh, then you're basically just in a closed circulation of, of podcasts and, and that kind of, you know, like in an echo chamber, right? So what's the point? Just listen to one and, you know, 
and pick one and good one there and then move on to something else. Um, now, personally, I've learned my lesson. I don't want to be part of that anymore. And that's why I'm trying to get people on the show to explain to me why I'm wrong for believing what I believe in and what I tell you what I believe in. And one of those beliefs that I've held uh, on for many years um, is the idea, frankly, that I don't like <clears throat> commercial real estate. I, I, you know, I don't like generally, I don't get excited. I don't really, you know, hop at the opportunity to invest in mini malls, office spaces or restaurants. I am, for the most part, you know, a multifamily guy, maybe a little bit of self-storage in there too, but you know, I want to invest in things people have to have, not what they, you know, want to have, you know, places to live, place to keep their stuff, that kind of thing. So today uh, on the podcast, you're going to hear from a commercial real estate guy who's done, you know, quite well with it for the past 30 years or so. And he does exactly what I have said that I don't like. Uh, and he's going to make the case for all of these kinds of different commercial real estate uh, investments even today in 2019, which again, my personal uh, gut tells me to stay away from. But make sure to listen to the show, especially if you tend to agree with me about stuff, because again, it is getting a different perspective. And we'll be right back with that guest. His name is Michael Flight. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest and Wealth Formula podcast is Michael Flight. Michael is a real estate entrepreneur who's been active in commercial real estate over the past 34 years. Is that right? With over $500 million worth of real estate transactions. He is a partner at Concordia uh, Realty Corporation, which he started in 1990. And since then, it has grown into a premier boutique shopping center investment redevelopment firm. Michael, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Hey, Buck. Thanks for inviting me on. It's really a pleasure. And uh, an honor also. Thank oh, you. Appreciate that. You're over in uh, Chicago. Is, is that right? That's correct. We're in the western suburbs, Oak Brook. 
Got it. Got it. As you know, I I uh, I fled from there fairly recently. You were uh, a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was actually there. Uh, I was in Chicago. I think it was last week. Right, right around the polar vortex thing. <laughs> oh, that's a perfect time to visit. Yes. Uh, I had to go there because one of my businesses is there. And it was so cold. And it was like, you know, I mean, it, it was what it was like 25 degrees below zero or something like that. Does that sound about right? And that's, uh, that's without yeah. wind chill. Right. Yeah, yeah, and they they like to exaggerate it and make it feel worse by saying, "Oh, it feels like fifty below with the wind." So yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's like uh, minus twenty one, twenty five is is cold enough for me. Now I was really happy to to fly back to Santa Barbara, and uh, I get off the plane, and it was like, you know, it was in the low sixties, and and I uh, felt great, and then within a day. I was like, darn, it's really cold here. When is it going to warm up? So you get really <laughs> spoiled very quickly. Uh, but that's uh, that's part of the part of the joy of living somewhere warm. But anyway, listen, Michael, it was uh, good having you on the show. Um, let's talk a little bit about you know, kind of you know, your niche and this commercial real estate. We've never done a show that really focuses on this topic, and this is why we're going to talk about it. Uh, we're the, we're talking about shopping centers, street retail, freestanding stores, and you've been doing it for a long time. Why did you choose this niche? How'd you get it started into it? Um, actually, it was kind of out of laziness. Uh, I figured out when I you know first became a commercial real estate broker that you could do a number of transactions with a tenant if you represented them. And uh, in, in the Chicago market, if a retail tenant was expanding, they might open 10, 15, 20 stores. And so it was a lot less cold calling for me. So uh, that's, that's how I got into it. And then I um, was hired by a major syndicator out of Philadelphia. They had about, I, I can't remember now, but at like 250 to 270 shopping centers nationwide. And then the... Um, the uh, savings and loan crisis hit, so everything kind of spiraled downwards. And uh, instead of relocating, uh, myself and a partner opened up uh, a shop, and we did workouts and um, you know shopping center investment because we were both in the the retail space. So that's, what, do you, what that's, do you mean workouts? Were you lifting weights? What do you What do you mean workouts? <laughs> workouts are when a bank or a uh, insurance company or a financial institution forecloses on a property and then really doesn't know what to do with it or needs to get rid of it. So uh, once they take it onto their books um, or we would help them onboard it onto their books and then uh, try and, you know, pretty up as much as possible and then sell it as fast as possible. So it gets off their book so that they can um, realize it, not a gain, but minimize their loss. Got it. So, all right. So why of all the different things that we can invest in, even within, uh, within real estate, what's your argument or your reason for us to consider commercial real estate? the way we're talking about in terms of shopping centers and street retail, freestanding stores, that kind of thing. Well, the great thing about um, retail real estate is number one, it's triple net so that the um, tenants pay for the real estate taxes, tenants pay for the insurance and the tenants pay for the maintenance of the common areas. They also maintain 
the interior of their store and their storefronts. So in a typical shopping center, the only thing the landlord would be maintaining is the structural components and the roof. And if it is a full triple net lease, uh, then the ten tenant pays for even the maintenance of the structure and, and the roof. So that's a great thing because it's a lot less management intensive um, most of the time. So you're, you're not like unclogging toilets and, you know, knocking on doors for rent. The other great thing is, is that you are doing leases with national companies. So these companies have bond ratings, you know, so they, they have uh, credit and the leases go for longer periods of time. So on a, a national tenant lease, you know, uh, we're doing things anywhere from five to 10. Uh, we've actually done, you know, with options, you know, leases with Walgreens for up to 60 years. Mm -hmm. So when we actually have a Walgreens lease in one of our portfolios that uh, originally started in 1957 and the lease was done before there was zip codes. So, wow. you know, so that, that's the, the type of uh, thing. And then um, historically uh, over the past few years, uh, retail has had, you know, better returns uh, institutionally. Okay. So, so let me ask you this though, in terms of <clears throat> when you talk about yields, um, certainly I would imagine the yields are going to be different. Uh, if you have a triple net with Walgreens, uh, compared to a mom and pop or, you know, some kind of just office building where, you know, there's, they're, they're, you know, they're not bond rated companies. Um, what are you focusing on? Uh, we are looking for uh, value-add shopping centers, although um, it, we used to do heavy value-add type of things where they were almost development deals. And mm -hmm. um, it's knocking down a percentage of the shopping center or in uh, a few cases, we've actually taken malls, emptied them out, knocked them down and, and built a strip center in their place. Uh, right now, what we're looking for is um, primarily stabilized shopping centers or shopping centers that we know that we can add value to through um, leasing and, um, you know, management and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but we're, we're looking for pretty fairly well occupied, like 80% and above, and then we can add value through leasing and through the expirations and, and, and that type of thing. Yeah. Okay. That's what we're looking at right now. So there's, you know, obviously when it comes to, and we talked about the soft line a little bit, you know, when it comes to retail real estate, um, there are a couple of elephants in the room, so to speak, that, that people always talk about, um, at least in our sort of podcast circles. Right. Um, right. let's talk about those head on first one. When the uh, uh, true or false, when the economy goes into recession, um, a lot of the commercial real estate that you're talking about suffers the most. Um, I wouldn't say it suffers the most, but I, I would say that uh, the uh, retail real estate is directly affected by consumer spending. And, um, you know, that but the other thing that moderates that somewhat is but a large majority of these leases are over a specific period of term. So that uh, if the uh, economy happens to go into a recession, 
um, you know, those leases might go right through it. And so you might have some situations where you might have to reduce the a tenant's rent for a little bit. But once we do do that, we say, you know, we're going to work with you, but you're going to pay us back that rent if it's a, a local tenant. To, so that's one thing. So you've got uh, that to protect you. Uh, the other thing is, is that, um, well, I, I think that's the, the answer to the question. I was going to yeah. go on. To so what next. happened like back in, listen, back in 2008, obviously, you know, real estate in general was um, across the board was hit. How were, how was your business affected by that? I would say that the, the, the main thing that affected us was when we had tenant renewals. Um, so if we had a vacancy, uh, the vacancies weren't getting leased for probably about two years. And if we had a renewal, it was affecting us because the national chain stores at that point are going to say, hey, things are, are really not looking great. And, um, you know, we're going to hammer you over the head. We're going to get we're going to lock in a lower rate at that point. Right. Um, so that that's what it was. Uh, I could tell you, you know, we we made it through pretty well. There was um, a, certain shopping centers that did go into foreclosure and they were just higher financed and, you know, didn't weren't able to perform on their um, their leasing and, and all the rest of that. So we were able to to pick up, you know, one or two properties that way uh, during the recession. Sure, sure. The other elephant. <clears throat> is uh is Amazon, right? Or retail is is online uh commerce in general. And, you know, obviously it's becoming a bigger and bigger issue. You hear about a lot of the major uh major brands that probably did have those higher bond ratings, et cetera, starting to go out of business, like Sears, for example. Um can you, you know, obviously, you know, you've got these, uh, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of pressure coming from the online marketplace. Do you consider that um, a big risk um, still in terms of your business? Well, let me address you know, the, the first thing, and then we'll get to the online part. Um, mm -hmm. Sears, department stores, JCPenney's, um, they, they, they really don't have a reason to exist anymore because they've lost, you know, who their customer is. And there's, you know, people aren't going to Sears. People aren't going to Kmart. Um, if you take a look at uh, tenants that are doing well, like Walmart and uh, Target and Marshalls, uh, in the case of Walmart and Target, they specifically revamped their stores so that, they're doing online and they're doing delivery. They're doing it, you know, whenever, wherever, however. So they both had record, you know, sales years last year. Um, and it's the the stores that, number one, haven't really figured out what to do. And so JCPenney, I don't expect them to be around much longer. Um, or a, a lot of the bankruptcies uh, were by uh, retailers that were taken over by buyout firms and heavily leveraged and then didn't have the um, financial wherewithal to either um, re-merchandise their stores and, you know, pretty up their stores, um, change some of their merchandise mix or start some sort of, um, you know, online web presence so that they could have an omni-channel thing. So that's, 
to, to kind of address what all the retail bankruptcies are. And we're, there, there's a few retail bankruptcies that even have happened within the past, um, you know, 30 days. So, sure. but like I say, a lot of those are, are in markets where they, they're just not as competitive. And now to answer your question about Amazon, Amazon um, realized that it just can't be a, a completely full online retailer. So they paid $35.5 billion for Whole Foods. And so to, in order to get their full omni-channel distribution, uh, and there's a lot of online tenants you know, now realizing that as soon as they open up a physical store, they're actually getting a bump in sales. And it's the same situation when a physical retailer closes a store, it actually decreases their online sales. So most retailers um, now know that they need to have some sort of omni-channel. And there's some pretty exciting stuff like Kroger has the, or actually um, Kroger has a thing where, you know, in order to, um, uh, the meals, uh, the, the meal plans, when you do the, the, the monthly meal plans and they deliver them right to your, your door. Yeah. Well, Kroger has that, but you can like actually go to the store and pick up the full meal and just take it out right there. So you can order it on an app online and boom, it's out the door. Um, Walmart is doing some really cool stuff that you can order on their app um, for pickup. Mm -hmm. And with geofencing, they know when you're three miles away, when you're one mile away, and when you're in the parking lot. And supposedly they have the system down so that um, they've gotten the stuff out to the customer within 11 seconds. So uh, a lot of these guys are, are doing a lot of stuff to, you know, to say, hey, we're going to just give the consumer what they want, where they want, how they want it. So, you know, and, and better retailers are doing that. So in terms of uh, Concordia, <clears throat> you mentioned value add, et cetera. Are you, you know, how can you get higher returns if you're focusing on these bigger companies? I guess that's, that, that's part of what my confusion is a little bit. Cause I, I, I get your point. You have a Walgreens. I, I don't care if you've got Amazon or not. People need their corner store. They need their seven 11s. They need, you know, their Dunkin Donuts, whatever. But, um, and those types of triple net leases, I can't imagine are providing much yield. So in a fund, how do you make, how do you provide, you know, how do you balance it so that you can actually get yield or what do you do to manipulate it in terms to, uh, to get the right kind of returns? Well, actually, um, part of the thing that's really, um, kind of helped with the, the internet and kind of trying to internet proof things is, um, a lot of retailers used to prohibit restaurants and they used to prohibit other types of uses in the shopping center. And they realized it's like, okay, so if we exclude all these other uses, then we're going to have a vacant shopping center. We don't want that. And so they want people coming to the shopping center. So we've been able to replace uh, a lot of those or some of those tenants with um, restaurants and restaurants do higher volumes and usually pay higher rents. And so that's good. And then it brings people to the shopping center. And typically, if people come to the shopping center to eat, um, they also might uh, purchase something or they'll at least stay in the shopping center longer. And so you have a higher chance of getting them to purchase something. And then we get some better rents with um, medical use because 
you've got a little bit more capital up front in terms of building out the medical space, but you've got higher rents because that um, tenant improvement is capitalized over the, the life of the lease and you get some, you know, a, a doctor's group or a hospital group guaranteeing, you know, the lease. So it sounds like you're kind of pretty broad in terms of the fun. You're doing everything from restaurants to, you know, Walgreens to medical offices. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we do that. We don't necessarily do, you know, a, a bunch of single tenant um, deals. We primarily buy shopping centers and where we get into single tenant deals is if we've got um, either a vacant uh, out parcel, which is the like the restaurant or the Walgreens out in the front of the shopping center, that's where we'll get into, you know, maybe a change of use or, or you know, a single tenant lease. And then the other way we add value or return capital faster is a lot of times we look for shopping centers that have a um, uh, out parcels, you know, like with a, um, uh, you know, like a McDonald's or a, uh, you know, a Jack in the Box or something like that, or even a Walgreens. And so you can buy the shopping center, let's say at an eight, seven, eight or nine cap and you can sell a Walgreens at a five cap or, you know, a, a, a six cap. Meaning the Walgreens yeah. is part of the, the shopping center already. Is that right? So you're yeah. buying, you're buying the, the entire parcel wholesale and then you're splitting it up and selling it I off see. retail. Got it. Got it. Like sort of office condominiums or that kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Right. right. Understood. Well, interesting. So, um, <clears throat> where are you buying right now? There's specific markets, uh, that for this kind of, um, you know, this kind of niche real estate is better than others? Um, I will tell you, since we brought it up, I am not buying anything in Illinois right now. The real estate tax issues here are crazy. Yeah, yeah they are. Um, uh-huh. We are, uh, we really like Indiana, which is right next to us. Um, we think that there's uh, some really good growth in um, Wisconsin and in Michigan also are doing fairly well. And uh, we have partners in Texas, uh, Tennessee, um, Phoenix, Arizona, and we really like Nevada. So we're, we're um, still playing with a deal uh, that we're trying to make work uh, up in Reno because Reno is just exploding right now with population. Um, Tesla, uh, Apple just bought like a thousand acres there. And I believe uh, Google bought 1500 acres there. And then there's a a few drone companies out there. So Reno, we think is going to be the next Austin. Got it. So are you uh, concerned at at all right now? Like how are you positioning yourself or are you doing anything differently now than you were doing, say, back in 2012? You know, I mean, everybody says the economy is really hot and, you know, some level of recessionary activity is inevitable, et cetera. Um, you know, I mean, maybe it won't be the zombie apocalypse, but maybe there'll be some level of, of, of uh, softening. Are you guys doing anything different right now uh, to, to try to uh, mitigate that risk? Um, we're, we're being much more comfortable. We've since we started out basically in a major recession in 1990 and we've been through, you know, three full cycles, um, you know, we, we've seen it come and we've seen it go. 
um, and we're just being extremely cautious. But at the same time, you know, we're, we can see a, a lot of opportunity. And the great thing about people talking about the collapse and the, the apocalypse of, of retail is that um, there's been a little bit of a dislocation in the market, especially for some of the, the properties that we look for that might be a higher cap rate and a little bit out of favor. Um, and so, and then the other thing is, is that um, publicly traded REITs have really been punished lately because of that. And so they've been unloading a lot of property too. So it's, it, it's actually created a pretty good buying opportunity. And, you know, we're just making sure that we follow, you know, what our acquisition criteria is and we don't get too crazy about, hey, this is a really great looking center and we really want to be here. Um, it's like, does it really make sense? And so I, I, I have this discussion probably every other day with our acquisition guys because it's like, I want to pull the trigger. I want to pull the trigger. It's like, you know, yeah, I yeah, know you yeah. do. Be careful, right? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, listen, uh, Michael, where can we learn more about, you know, your business and, you know, what, what you're up to? Um, they can go to our website. It's um, concordiarealty.com. That's C-O-N-C-O-R-D-I-A-R-E-A-L-T-Y.com. We'll put a, we'll put a, something in the show notes there, too. Is And uh, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. I know we were talking uh, earlier. It's a, it's an area that I, I have not explored much, but I want to make sure that for people who have an interest in, in investing in this kind of real estate that they had had uh, had some information. So I appreciate, again, being on Wealth Formula Podcast today. Thank you very much. And I really, I've uh, signed up and I'm looking forward to seeing you in Scottsdale. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, we are sold out. Yeah, that is... Uh... That's good news. I'll see you there. And I guess other people will get a chance to meet you there as well. Thank you. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the show, everyone. So what do you think after that show? Are you now a commercial real estate person? Maybe you were before and maybe I just reinforced it. Well, personally, I am probably somewhat more open again to the idea of, you know, triple net, you know, AAA rated long-term leases like Walgreens. The problem is with those kinds of things, the yield is not great. So I think that would be a challenge for me. Um, I might also be interested in medical, but I don't know if I'm I'm convinced of much more than that. Um, I will say that I think that Michael's a pretty thoughtful, smart guy, and it seems like he's seen cycles high and low and is pretty good at hedging his purchases. Um, so he's been through, you know, the worst of the worst and he's got some scar tissue. And again, that's the kind of person you want to look for when you're looking in a, in a potential different asset class. So you may want to talk to him. That said, I think I'll probably largely myself continue to focus largely on, on multifamily. Speaking of multifamily, Mike will, will be at our Scottsdale event as well. Um, so you can meet him in person our Scottsdale event, of course, is called the Titans of Multifamily Real Estate. Mostly it's on March 2nd, although we'll be meeting up inform informally on March 1st as well. I would tell you where to go buy tickets, but it is sold out. If you really, really, really want to come, shoot me an email. And if somebody drops off, I'll get you uh, I'll get you in. That happened last week, actually. So uh, somebody canceled and we were able to squeeze somebody else in. So so it does happen. Let me know. But, you know, it's a small event, 100, 100 people. 
Uh, it was meant to be that way so that we could have sort of more of a meetup, sort of small uh, networking, you know, not networking, but, you know, not like we're trying to do, you know, business with each other. It's just a way to get to know each other. It's hard to do that when there's like a thousand people there. Anyway, um, so that was done on purpose, a small sort of uh, event where everybody gets to get a chance to get to know one another. I get the chance to hopefully uh, meet every single one of you. So I look forward to uh, meeting you all there. Now, that said, I know that, um, again, next time uh, we will probably choose a bigger uh, a bigger event, a bigger venue, et cetera, and maybe we'll do it in Dallas or something somewhere more central so the East Coast people don't get left out. In the meantime, don't forget that if you do want more Wealth Formula, there's nothing easier than to simply go to wealthformularoadmap.com and join our Wealth Formula network uh, and uh, you know start getting involved with our uh, course and our calls and our uh, Facebook group, etc., Anyway, that is it for me this week. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Save You with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.